This serves as a summary, revisiting some of those themes, some of those same places. And we're concluding that the work that Jesus began to do and teach is going to continue to the ends of the earth. And uh, we ended our set today with Amazing Grace. That is by far my favorite hymn of all time. It's probably the most famous one of all time, so it's probably yours too. Uh, Some of you who are into hymns probably know some of those older ones. But Amazing Grace uh, was sung at my father's funeral. And from that day forward, it's just uh, meant a lot to me personally. It's meant a lot to my family. Uh, And the words, if if you're to look at the old hymns and just listen to the words and read the words and just contemplate what they're talking about, you see the riches of God and the riches of his grace towards man. And uh, that's how I evaluate songs. Uh, We live in a day and age where Christian artists are making songs uh, to whatever beat, and I'm all for it. I'm kind of eclectic. I like the old hymns are my favorite. Uh, but I like uh, pop, hip hop, uh, and I teach a class on exercise and Amazing Grace just doesn't have that beat. Um, but I look, when, I, when I'm evaluating a song, I look at the lyrics. I, this, you know, you get an opportunity to pray, play uh, praise songs at these classes. And so I find one, I listen to the beat and I think that's good. And then I go, I, before I play it, I want to read the words. Uh, it sure beats dance cardio radio, uh, but I found Toby Mac to be uh, kind of my one of my go-to's there, and I was listening to one of the words of his songs, "Unstoppable." And if you take the time, not just to go with the beat, but to listen to the words, read the words, and contemplate what he's saying, it's good, and it matches what I want to preach on today. We are the travelers; we look to the ever after much like those pilgrims in Jerusalem were going into the promised land, so we too are coming into our homeland and we look to the ever after. We are strangers. Peter says we are strangers and aliens on earth. We're practically endangered. If you look at the world and you think about Christianity in light of the world, there's lots of talk of the church must change or it will cease, and that's just not true. We know these roads here, they never seem to bode well. This is our predicament, but we're not even sick of it. The idea that this is where we're at, but we're not going to be deterred from our mission. We make our moves in mysterious ways. The world doesn't look, the world looks at the church and they think we're weird. They think we're off because we're walked by the power of the spirit. And those who are living with passion, those who are living on mission, he says, we'd rather burn up than stick to the shade. It's easier to get under the tree and just stay there and not cause a ruckus. But he says, let's get out in the sun. He says, we're not of this world. And so we live on the run. We keep our eyes set on what is to come. There's a vision for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross. And then he gets into his refrain. And it's what I want to talk about today, that we are unstoppable. Unstoppable. The gates of hell will not prevail over the church. We're unstoppable. And so today you're going to see, and today is a heavy uh, message, not that I normally give light messages, but this one's heavier in particular on the subject of death and judgment. 
And so let's look at Acts 12 as it summarizes the second section. Acts 12, the outline of the chapter looks like this. You're you're going to see the death of of James, not James, the one who wrote the letter, but James, uh, the brother of John. You're going to see the deliverance of Peter, and then you're going to see the death of Herod, and then the unstoppable word of God. Let me pray. Father, this is your word. You've given it to us to guide us. All of your scripture is from you. It is breathed out by you and it is from you and it is for good. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that Lord, we may be equipped, all of us, those of us who are of you may be equipped and complete that we may be equipped for every good work. And so we can pray this morning to you and know that you hear our prayers because your word says so. We can talk on the subject of death and judgment and know that you support us because your word says so. And by the power of the spirit, you will comfort our hearts and compel us to go out and share this message with the world. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Chapter 12, it begins in verse one, about that time, about what time? About the time when this the church is spreading through Judea and Samaria, it is unified around the gospel. It's diversified in its gifts. It's at that time, Herod the king. This is not uh, Herod the Great, who was at Jesus' birth. This is Herod Agrippa. This is not Herod Antipas, who was at Jesus' death. Uh, This is his nephew. This is the grandson of Herod the Great. This is Herod Agrippa I. Herod the king, he liked to be called king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And so we move from a section on conversion and expansion, and we now see once again, there is persecution. And he laid hands on violently. But this shows the brutality of that age. In verse two, he killed James the brother of John with the sword commentaries tell us that that refers to the beheading. The brutality of that age is something we're seeing all too often today. And when he, Herod the king, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And so he wanted to do the same thing to Peter. If I can take out the leader, this thing will not, it will cease. It will not go on. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Herod was planning on doing the same thing to Peter, but seeing that it pleased the Jews and seeing that the Jews couldn't hold trials and sentencing during this time, he had him arrested. Verse four, and when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. You could say that Herod was concerned, nigh unparalleled. These squads of soldiers would rotate around the clock, not letting a minute go by that Peter wasn't guarded. And he was intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people to do to him what he had done to James, the brother of John. Look at the first phrase of verse five. So Peter was kept in prison. Situation looks bleak, even hopeless. One apostle is dead. One is detained going to be tried and executed, but don't miss the second half of verse five. But earnest prayer for him 
was being made to God by the church. Fervent prayer upon part of the church was being made for Peter who was in prison. The people of God were praying to God with great passion. That's what it means to make earnest prayer or fervent prayer. It reminds us of how Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your wills be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. Jesus was praying fervently. The bride of Christ is just following her husband by praying earnestly. And so my first call for us today is let us be an earnest praying church. I realize that you pray in your personal devotion times. I understand you pray with your family, but let us not overlook the power of a praying church. My invitation, my simple invitation to you is part of, not the, but part of the work that goes on here at Sunday morning is at 815 to 820 that people gather in that library and they do what these people were doing here. They make earnest prayer for God's word to go out. They were making earnest prayer for Peter to be released. Let us be an earnest praying church. And now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. Here's Peter, who we will see next week or the week after, who is rebuked by the Lord after confessing him as Christ, to which Jesus had to give the most scathing reproof of all. Get behind me, Satan, for you do not think like God thinks, but you think as a man. This is that Peter. This is that Peter who said, I will never, ever deny you. And everybody else followed after him. But it was Peter who said that. And three times he denied him. It was that Peter. Peter was sleeping. Peter, the clumsy leader, had learned to trust in God. Peter probably knew he was going to his death. He was bound in chains, it says, sleeping between two soldiers And centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Here is Peter understanding that death is on the horizon and he's at perfect peace. But his trustful sleep was cut short by an angel. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him and said, get up quickly. The chains fell off of his hands. And so you have lights shining, you have chains clanking and Peter is being rescued. No one seems to notice because if you read the commentaries, they they seem to think this entire place with squads of soldiers and sentries is in a heavy sleep, a deep sleep, nothing that can wake you. I, I think of an illustration, I think of my family. There are people in my family that uh, when the alarm goes off, they're up, they're at them, and they go. There are others that it just takes a while. They just... They sleep heavy, sleeping like these soldiers are sleeping next to Peter. The angel says, get up quickly. Verse eight, the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. 
And he went out and followed him and he did not know what was being done by the angel, but thought he was seeing a vision. He's kind of groggy. The angel uh, sees this and he has to kind of direct him, put this on, put this on, come with me, follow me. And when they had passed the first and second guard, I love this, get caught up into the story of scripture. They came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened up to them on their own, its own accord. Could you imagine the God of heaven swing open the gate? And they went out and went along the street, one street, and immediately the angel left him. Two guard posts, an iron gate, security at its human best at that time. The ancient ADT is no match for an heaven sent messenger. But then this messenger leaves. I, I would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. Come, come here. What, what am I? But Peter knew what to do. And when Peter came to himself, watch what he says here in 11. This is the same Peter who has seen God restore the lame, Acts 9, 32 through 35. This is the same Peter who saw God resurrect the dead, Acts 9, 36 through 43. And he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. A God who restores, a God who resurrects, and he's a God who rescues prisoners. Now, I don't want to allegorize this at all, but I could point you to other texts in the Bible about God rescuing prisoners that some people are chained. Paul talks about it in Romans 6 and Romans 7, that we're chained in our sin. We're bound to our sin. And God can rescue you. God can rescue you. He can restore life. He can raise the dead and he can rescue any person from any situation they're in. Now, I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me literally from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. They were expecting the death of James, the brother of John. And here comes Peter, the leader. He's going to die. And when he realized this, verse 12, he went 12, he went to the house of Mary. Notice it's the house of Mary. Go back to Acts chapter five. Ownership is not invalid. It's still valued. Having all things in common was not communism. And so he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And where many were gathered and were praying. You can assume this is verse five, but the earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. They're gathered, they're praying, and here comes Peter. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. We know he is speaking because she says in the next verse, she, under, she heard his voice. Hey, hey, let me in. Psst, hey. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, youthful zeal. She runs and like, <laughs> she runs in her joy. She doesn't open the gate, but ran literally ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Hey, Hey, Peter's standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. No, no. I saw it was Peter. I heard his voice. You're crazy. No, she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying it was his angel. 
They're praying for Peter. Now, some want to say they're probably not praying, knowing that he's under the squadron of <clears throat> four guards behind stone gates. This is, again, high security. There's no way. There's absolutely no way he's getting out. Let's just pray that we don't give up. Let's pray that the word continues to increase. Little did they know God gave them far more than they asked and believed. You could just see Rhoda there. No, I I recognize his voice. Remember when he was preaching on Solomon's portico? I just know it's his voice. I know it's got to be his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And you probably get the picture that they're cheering. They're clapping. Oh my, it's Peter. But motioning them with his hand. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. By God's grace and for God's glory, I know that I had denied the Lord and he restored me. And I, I, I know that he had called me to preach and lead the early church. And I knew I was going to my death, but I was, I was sleeping. I had had a, you know, they had given me a good meal. I was just sound asleep. And all of a sudden this angel shaking me, waking me up. And he's like, I was groggy. He's like, put your shoes on, put your cloak on, put everything on, follow me. Let's get out. We were walking out in this door, this door, this stone gate, just all of a sudden. And we walked through and then I'm thinking he's going to give me direction. And all of a sudden he's gone. I mean, he's retelling this story. And he said, he said these things. Tell these things to James and to the brothers. They need to know this. They need to hear that God is great and that God can rescue. And probably, probably because of safety reasons, then he departed and went to another place. This is the James that would write the epistle an already recognized leader of the Jewish church. That's why Peter says, go tell James and the other brothers. And like Bo read earlier, James was a man of prayer, understood prayer, and he chose Elijah in that section in James 5, but he could have chosen this because God listened to the prayers of his people. And so Peter leaves for safety reasons, and we cut to a commercial break. Pretty intense. You need to know, wow. I don't know what commercial would come on, but a commercial would come on and then you would come back and then you would see the scene, the sun's rising, the soldiers are waking up from this this God-induced sleep. And verse 18, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become known to Peter. Can you imagine the soldiers are get up and there's no Peter and they're pointing at you, it wasn't me, it was you. They're, they're scrambling because they know what's going to happen. After Herod, paranoid Herod, who had learned it from his grandfather and from his uncle, searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. When Herod finds out, he responds in typical Herodian fashion, let's kill everybody, probably something he learned from his grandfather in Matthew 2. Needing a little R&R, then he went down to Judea, from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. So here Herod kills James. He kills his own centuries. And now he's angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. These people come because they're in famine. They come to Herod. They, 
They sinned by this person, Blastus, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And we read this and we don't even, we, we don't even, this doesn't even register in our minds. We read this in the scriptures and we have to back away because if, if I need fries, I just go and get French fries. But we read this and we need to get back that their entire lives depended on this paranoid, violent king to give them food. But there are some places in the world today that not only the brutality of Herod, but the the um, the dictatorship of Herod. There are people who still depend on meals from tyrants. There is nothing new under the sun. It happened then. It happens today. The question that comes to our mind, will these men, will these people be held accountable? Will those who are busting through territories in the Middle East be held accountable for their actions? Will those who deny God and just want to please those around them, will, will they be held to a standard? Well, I think the next three verses tell us what God does with those who oppose him. On an appointed day, they had come to him and asked him, will you give us food? On an appointed day, he puts on his royal robes. He took a seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. He puts on his robes, he gets on the throne, and he's going to make this great oration. I I can just see him now. I, the all-powerful, though he wasn't because Caesar was still reigning, Herod over my little kingdom, hereby do pronounce that you can have food. And the people were shouting, the voice of God not a man. I mean, that's how tyrants work. They deceive the people so much that now they think this is the voice of God because he's feeding them. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Why? Because he did not give glory to God. Luke could have ended it there, but he wanted you to see this. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now we're not told at all that Herod had any diseases. Some want to speculate. I don't want to try to lessen the picture here that he had some sort of disease and this is what would happen. This is one who brutally killed God's people and now he dies a grotesque death. God struck down the prideful. He struck him down and Luke is very clear because he did not give glory to God. God opposes the proud. God opposes violent, brutal people. The point here is judgment. And we have to address it. It would be an injustice not to talk about God's justice. My friends, rest assured. And we cry out for them to repent before that day But rest assured, on an appointed day, there will be the judgment of God upon those who oppose God's people and wreak havoc on the world. Now, now we can't forget the death of an apostle. And you notice that they didn't replace the apostle there. Like I talked about last week, we're moving from the apostle-led church to an elder-led church in local congregations around the world. 
They didn't replace James. He died. And then Herod dies, but it's in between these two deaths that we see the deliverance of Peter. And so we see, we see the mercy of God and the justice of God. And all too often we want to talk about the mercy of God, but we don't want to talk about the justice of God. But Paul puts it very succinctly in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Note the kindness, mercy, and the severity of God, judgment. Mercy and judgment. And here's what the beautiful thing is. When you talk about judgment and we talk about mercy, the greatest picture that you could ever think of is the cross of Christ. It's a difficult subject, but you can address it at the cross of Christ. This is where the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God that he has towards all sinners meets the sin of man at the cross of Christ. And it's from there mercy is dispensed to the repentant and judgment to their prideful. So what, what, what can we learn from these 23 verses? Well, first, if you step back and you see this, this sounds very familiar to Jesus's trials and Jesus's uh, Peter's going to be persecuted, but then he's delivered. And it sounds like we'll see later on in the book of Acts, Paul, the same thing. He's put on trial and he's delivered. But Jesus wasn't delivered from death. He had to die. It's because of his death and subsequent resurrection that we receive mercy. That's a big picture. But don't forget the last part of verse 5. While one is kept in prison, chained, prayer, not just prayer, fervent prayer, earnest prayer is being made by the church. Can I just read you some quotes by some great heroes of the past on prayer. Oswald Chambers, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. John Wesley, have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and persevere therein and mercy will come down. Next to the wonder of seeing my savior will be, I think the wonder that I made so little use of the power of prayer, D.L. Moody. I agree with D.L. Moody. I spoke to the men of Compass the last time I taught them, and I said, men, you pray. I want to be a man. I want to be able to say these type things about prayer. There is no way that Christians in a private, in private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. Jonathan Edwards, the father of the Reformation, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. 
Believer, thou hast a mighty engine in thy hand. Use it well. Use it constantly. Use it with faith, and thou shalt surely be a benefactor to thy brethren. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or bending his will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. I wonder what those folks at Mary's house were praying. It could be what they were praying in Acts chapter 4. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed for truly in this city are gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take. And now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't necessarily pray to be removed from their circumstances. They said, help me stand up within them. Whatever your will is, God, like John Stott says right there, help me stand up within it. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a, care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Amen? Doesn't matter whether we have degrees from seminaries or not. Where am I? Ah, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, uh, not a new organization or more and novel methods, but men and, and I would say men and women who the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come upon machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men and women of prayer, Ian Bounds. Folks, let's be earnest with prayer, and I can say it no better than Paul. Pray without ceasing does not mean you have to pray more than all you do, but just before all you do. Prayer was the hand that moved the deliverance of Peter. And if you see this, death surrounds the deliverance, and so we've got to talk about death. Death is the end of every person, good or bad. It's inevitable. For God's people, it is not the end. We will see the apostle James, again. We get to see him. Like, so how was it? I mean, hanging out with Peter. Yeah, he, I mean, he was a good leader, but he, you know, always putting his foot in his mouth. And... <laughs> Death for those who oppose God is not the end either. Do you know that? Daniel chapter 12. Verse 2. And in many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We won't see Herod again. It should shouldn't strike you, but to stop right there and go, what other people do I want to see 
glorifying Jesus. And after 10,000 years, we can continue on as we sang in the song. We want to pray for them. That God might release them from their bonds of sin so that they may be free in Christ. And it's something, death is something we all must face. We all must face it. And we got to be prepared. So my exhortation to you, my encouragement to you, my encouragement to myself is live in such a way that you die without regret. Peter had come to trust the Lord so much that when his death was literally knocking at his door, he was fast asleep. I'm going to see Jesus. But we're not finished, right? It would be... uh, Awkward for me to leave it right here when the text itself shows us. Look back at verse 24 of Acts chapter 12. It's its own paragraph in the ESV and I think also in other translations. But as opposed to all that had just happened, the death of an apostle, the death of one of the enemies, the deliverance of Peter, all these things are going on and you may think, There's not much hope for the church. No, my friends, no. The word of God increased and multiplied. Don't overlook that contrasting conjunction, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Paul prayed, or he called the the Ephesians, excuse me, the Philippians to pray. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead the offspring of David who preached my gospel, I am suffering bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. That's in Timothy. He said in Philippians, I ask you to pray for me for my deliverance. The word of God in prayer, it's that simple. And simple is not always easy. The word of God continued to increase and multiply. James died. Peter would eventually die. Paul would die. All the apostles would die and not be replaced. I read to you John Wesley. He died. I read to you Charles Spurgeon. He died. I read to you Ian Bounds. He died. I read to you John Stott. We got to sit in the church that he shepherded for years. He is with Jesus. But the word of God will not die. Herod, he came and went. Hitler, he's gone. ISIS, it will not last. Don't watch the news and get discouraged or disturbed. Look here, see this and say, and pray, God, you can do whatever. Do not get discouraged. They will not last. The opponents will continue to persecute and try to destroy the church, some with brutality, some with subtlety, but the church and the word of God will not die. It is not chained. We will be delivered. We are unstoppable. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters across the world who, whose pastors, 
preach their sermons underground, quietly, so as not to cause a disturbance or be found out. I pray for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who standing up for their faith causes them to die. And I thank you for them. Never giving in, never giving up. And I pray for a boldness for us. Though we live in a country based on freedom, freedom of religion, we can be shy. Give us the boldness of Peter. Give us the boldness of the early church. Give us the confidence that this organization that we are involved in, this thing you call the bride of Christ, will not fail and your word will not stop. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Those men who are helping with communion would come forward. One of the ordinances <clears throat> that we practice at Eagle Bible Church is communion or the Lord's Supper. As the elements are being passed out, I'd ask that if you're not a believer or you have not been baptized, to please let the elements pass by you. If you have not repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you to seek one of the church leaders or someone that you see taking part of communion and find out about the good news that Jesus Christ has made available to you. At Eagle Bomb Church, we do this act of worship uh, for several reasons. We do this as a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and all that it entails. From his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection, which accomplished all that was necessary for our eternal salvation. In partaking in communion, we proclaim the new covenant nature of our relationship to God. We proclaim that Christ's blood initiated... Oh, <clears throat> we, we proclaim that Christ's blood initiated a new covenant for all those who put their faith and trust in Him. We proclaim that His once and for all sacrifice has swept away the need for the sacrifices of the old covenant and removed the condemning force of the law for the believer. And we proclaim that Christ and the Holy Spirit now dwell in our hearts. We remember and we also look forward in anticipation. In participating in the Lord's Summer, we are reminded that Christ's redemptive work on the cross is finished and also that the plan of God continues to be worked out through His church until He comes to rule and reign. 
And finally, communion gives us as believers the opportunity to examine our lives and repent of the sin that exists in our hearts, which has been revealed through Scripture. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 28 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. In this time of examination, we should reflect on the daily process that takes place in the life of a believer. That is the conforming to a life that resembles the image of Christ. And we should commit to remove the barriers of sin that are hindering that process. As you hold the elements in your hand, let us take a moment to examine our hearts. The book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 26 starts. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's take the elements. Father, Thank you for this day. You are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And we thank you for communion and all that is so meaningful in that short paragraph of scripture and what it means to us. May your words be on our hearts all week. May the spirit guide us while we go out this week with our families, to our jobs, communities, and our schools. Let us be conformed to the image of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys would stand up with us. Jesus rising, eyes are turning to you.